0: Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, and Randall. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated.
1: Open your ears and crack some beers. You're listening to episode 74 of a Retro Hangover. <laughs>
0: Hello, Retro and Classic Gamers. Welcome to the podcast where we are silly singing smelly schmegma schmucks saying sickly sayings. This is episode 74 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with, as always, your host, Shane. Dead Dick Dragon!
1: <laughs> Kosky! I okay I was not expecting that um I, I don't know where the laugh came from what laugh but oh all right I, what I don't know I didn't laugh I don't know what it what it, what are you talking about it's it's kind of spooky is it spooky or spooky that, I don't know it's well it's you know it's funny that you mentioned that because I was gonna ask you oh. um do you do, do you do you happen to know what what time it is right now Chris do you do you know it's about it's about 5 15 in the afternoon it is spoop o'clock, Chris. Oh. It is the spookiest month of the year right now in the October. The spooptober, one might say. Get spooped?
0: I'm so spooped. Exactly. I am spoop yeah. Where did that, okay, where did that word come from, by the way? I don't, it used to be spooky. We were all cool with spooky. And now all of a sudden there's, there's <laughs> spoopy and I, I'm all about the lulls and it's, it's
1: cute and everything. But seriously, where did it come from? That's I mean, that that's that's what it is. It's just it you blame the Internet I, I, along along with a lot of other things. You can, yeah, you can
0: blame a lot of other things on the Internet. It's mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, I love it. I don't. But
1: it is the spookiest time of the year. It's
0: the most spoopiest time
1: of the year. That's right. Yes. Happens to be my favorite time of the year, too. I could so I could live without it. I'm stoked. What? <laughs> God damn it. All right. Show's over. Oh, well. It was a good run. We were we've been canceled. Yeah. <laughs> I no, I'm canceling it right now. That was it.
0: <sighs> New co-host search out there. If you like spooptober, give Shane a call at 8674309.
1: That's right. I'm I'm going to make an exclusive spoopcast. Is it 86748675? I suck at that
0: too. I don't yeah. even know. <laughs>
1: I don't think anyone's going to hold uh, that, what, several decade old reference against you, Chris. I think that's fine.
0: On a retro video game game show, people holding things that have happened several games ago that you're getting an That never you. No.
1: happens. Never happens. No. no. That'd be crazy and unacceptable and unprofessional. And that's why it never happens.
0: We have to be perfect in everything
1: we say. That's right.
0: Actually no one has really come after us for saying completely totally inaccurate
1: Which things, is and they surprising. Could
0: <laughs> yes. Because we have certainly put it out there. I know I've walked away from an episode several weeks later and been like, Oh my God. Yeah. I'm gonna get roasted for this.
1: Yeah. We, we we usually feel pretty good about the the you know, research that we put into these things and then like there's a chance that we come out of an episode later and we're just like, Oh, we were horrendously wrong about that. Well, it's a good thing nobody heard it. And then we cry.
0: <laughs> For many reasons.
1: <laughs> uh, but at any rate, with, with Spooptober in, in full effect, uh, how, how are you doing, Chris? What, what have you been up to? Have you been properly spoopifying the, your, your surroundings? It's been pretty silent here oh. in my room. I'd ask um, if you lived on a hill, but um, I also know we live in northern Florida, so I know the answer to that. And it's no. Well, there are no hills. Because there aren't any. I'm just hiding.
0: I'm hiding in my silent room. Ah, I see. And no one likes it when you hear about room. They'd rather hear about many expansive small
1: towns. And
0: we do kind of right. live in a small town. Mm-hmm. Silent small town. I wouldn't call it silent,
1: though, because today's episode is about Silent Hill. No, oh, I that was completely unexpected.
0: I know, I just threw it out there, because they probably already read it, and now they're wondering why we sometimes introduce the episode at the beginning of the show, and, and this time we, we waited so long. But today's episode is about Silent Hill, and it is spooky, and we do hope you get spooked. This is episode two in our Spooktober, and our third episode for Spooktober will actually be the first of November, but it's close enough to Halloween that I think it's going to be appropriate, and you'll have to wait to see on your podcast feed what that is going to be about. I think we do have a pretty good episode about... Silent Hill today because Shane is a silent hillophile
1: that 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 is correct I'm not sure if that's the appropriate term but I will take it I don't I, mean, I, I don't a, know what the term is I, I think we just made it we just created it. there you go we we would that thing
0: a silent hill file
1: you know what else is great is', what is living great. so close to like an air base and just having military aircraft over your house while you're trying to record a podcast just you re- don't live
0: that close real to the airbase. You live further away from the airbase than I do.
1: Yeah. Well, they're still here. And they're still loud, and they're not spooky. Or they're spooky well either. Depends
0: on context. Maybe maybe they're doing spooky spy things like with black helicopters and shit. Who knows? They could be. But in any case, what I am doing in in IRL, mm, as yes. the kids say That's nowadays, right. in real life, the lead gamers older people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So I've been playing near, which I have beaten three has been three times. I think two times I've beaten it twice. I think I'm on my third time to beat this game. So the good thing is, is that well, the bad thing is you have to beat the game four times in order to get the entire plot of the game four times. So I'm on my third time. And essentially, the good thing is, is the, the, the each for the second and third time you beat it. You only have to play the second half of the game and not even the entirety of the second half of the game. And if you completed all the quests that you can complete in your first playthrough, you don't have to complete those quests over again. They're already done and you don't need to complete any other tasks. You don't need to collect any other items or weapons. If you got them all the first time, you just need to run through all the major plot points, which doesn't take much time at all. So that's good. Um,, uh, the bad I'm, thing I'm, I'm is that, that the
1: developers decided to gift that to you. You know, they're just like, I know. Hey, if you did well enough in the first like two times you played this game, like you have to play less of it again. That's that's cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. I would say that it is worth it though, would from you? a plot standpoint yes i would the the plot is really good it's easy to get invested in i'm going to try and make a rapid fire review as soon as i can i still again i still have to beat it two more times i know the fourth ending is just kind of you can save right before the final run and like the 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 you have two choices at the end and you know the first time you make the top one of the choice and the other time you make the bottom choice and that's the last time apparently you can play the game other than that just you know It's been an interesting week. It's been a fun week. My brother has been in town down here. So I've been having a good time hanging out with him as I am completely inadequate and incompetent when it comes to making repairs on my home. So it's good to have him here because he's a licensed contractor. So (laughs) I can get things repaired that I have. I would probably electrocute and kill myself doing. So I'm always eternally grateful whenever he comes down here because I would break shit. Or just take, like, a week to do something I could do in three hours. And I also got to go to a live wrestling event with my best buddies in the entire world. So that was also great. Oh. So I really enjoyed that going on this week in real life. How about you, Shane?
1: Uh, Well, that's that's an interesting coincidence. I, I too, ended up going to a live wrestling event this week. It's crazy. Oh, wow. How that happens. Yeah. yeah.
0: I don't know how that happened. I, Maybe we went to the know. same
1: one. Yeah. Some sort of cosmic serendipity but it sure happened and so uh it was actually my first time going to a live wrestling event like i had watched it on tv here and there um but also to be fair my and chris knows this my my wrestling knowledge kind of ends somewhere around like the late 80s so (laughs) i'm not exactly current um but it was a good time it was it's a it's a very different experience than from watching it uh like on tv for sure Um, but overall I I had a lot of fun and, um, and and outside of that, as far as the, the Vidya games are concerned, I, um, still kind of plugging away at super Mario sunshine on my switch. That's, that's still going pretty well. Um, despite the just bevy of YouTube videos I've seen posted over the past several weeks of people just being super butt hurt about. You know, the, the the versions of these games that got included in that 3D Mario All-Stars. But I am not invested enough in any of those to care that much about it. And so I am blissfully ignorant and enjoying my time with it.
0: I, I would say that it was probably a little expensive, all things considered, in how they just emulated it. It's almost like the limited run premium they put on the physical packaging, except they also translate over into the digital price.
1: Yeah. and and that's that's that is certainly a fair argument um but a lot of the sort of i i would say some of the nitpicky things that people were pointing out were maybe not complete deal breakers um like if you were used to playing like mario sunshine on the original hardware and you played a shitload of it then i could totally understand why you'd be thrown off playing this one because they did some weird shit like reversing the camera controls to be fair that was just to keep in line with the fact that all modern games have sensible fucking camera controls and are not inverted like the original sunshine was but if you were used to that then i get it but i was not and so this all makes sense to me i i guess i'm the i don't know the casual market that they were trying to go for so yay <laughs> but filthy casual. yeah pretty much uh but like I said I've been enjoying that one so far and uh man I have gone deep into Genshin Impact. Let me let me tell you about this. So uh I don't want to spend a deep ton of time on it, but suffice to say it was it is a it is a game that has come out of uh, a Chinese developer uh miHoYo and they've had a couple other titles prior to this um which I think was like Honkai Impact and a couple others. And uh this one has been sort of taking the mobile slash gachapon gaming scene sort of by storm lately because it is at its heart basically a free-to-play Breath of the Wild, and that's not hyperbole. It, that is actually what it is, and you can play it cross-platform on PC or your phone or PS4, although, of course, Sony are dicks, and so you can't cross-save from PS4 to the other two platforms Because, of course, you can't. But it is amazing what you are getting for free. And the gotcha system in it is – it's certainly there, but it's, like, almost not really required. Uh, So you're getting this giant, expansive open world where you can climb cliff sides and find hidden treasure chests and explore the world and find all these cool, like, side events and world events occurring and and a full storyline – And you're playing with a party of four characters that you can hot swap out for, like, doing elemental combos and shit. And it is a ton of fun. I'm actually really enjoying it. Uh, So don't don't let the the gotcha part of it sort of dissuade you if you are at all interested in checking out that kind of a game. Um, If you liked Breath of the Wild, I would actually highly recommend you at least take a look at Genshin Impact because... It is, a, it is a well-made game. I'm actually really impressed with what they've done with it. So that's actually where a lot of my time has been going in the past like week or two. <laughs> so so that, that's pretty much it for me. It's the game that the
0: Chinese released because TikTok was about to get banned.
1: Yeah, that's right. They needed a new way to spy on us, and so this is it. Yes. But you know what? If they're spying on me and I'm getting free big-titty waifus, then I feel like that's a fair trade. I think it's a fair
0: trade. Yeah. I mean only we can spy on ourselves. The Chinese, the Chinese aren't allowed to do
1: that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's patriotic. You need big
0: titty waifu's just to, to spy on us.
1: Well, that's that's the cost of entry. Give me your
0: yeah. Give me give me your credit card information while I while I give you a puff puff.
1: That's right. Give give me big titty waifus or give me death i think that's how that phrase goes that's what thomas Paine said
0: was it thomas Paine? i think maybe it was thomas Paine. i don't know it's one of those old fuckers
1: that's right and so we have absolutely no good segue from big titty waifus to what we're actually going to talk about today so we're just going to go to it <laughs> but uh we're, 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 we're talking to nurse silent this. hill. oh there we're it gonna is we're going to nurse okay. this
0: segue All into right, silent hill
1: he saved it. All right. Yes. We, we we did it, everybody. We did it.
0: Big titty waifus means big titty nurses. All right, so hey, uh, Chris, you,
1: you want to? Silent Hill.
0: So anyway, yeah. So <laughs> today's episode is going yeah. to be uh-huh. about Silent Hill, which is a game that is considered to be spooky or spoopy if you're, you know, with the now. And it's a big, big game that Shane loves. It's the biggest. And I'll tell you that. Uh, some people say it's the biggest horror game ever made. Believe me. And I need you to know that Shane is probably the biggest fan that I've ever met. So give it up for Shane and let him tell you the brief history of Silent Hill.
1: What can a team of outsiders hope to accomplish within a major corporation? For our average listener, the answer is most likely… quite a bit, actually. And well, you'd be right. Konami, however, didn't see it that way. As far as they were concerned, staff involved in underperforming or failed projects were often ostracized and left to slowly rot into obscurity until they ultimately decided to leave the company by their own volition. Such was the intended fate for the group that would come to be known as Team Silent, a selection of Konami employees assembled to create a low-budget title with hopes of being successful for a Western audience, specifically the United States. Development would start in 1996, with Konami tasking the team with crafting a title that evoked a Hollywood-like atmosphere. Most of the developers were already planning to leave the company by this point, but decided to stick around long enough to see this project through to completion. While Konami did provide a vague notion of what they wanted the game to be, they didn't give Team Silent any real direction. Unsurprisingly, Konami would eventually lose faith in the project, but rather than pulling the plug, they simply decided to ignore the team altogether. This cruel twist of fate ironically gave Team Silent almost absolute creative freedom, which they would leverage to great effect, eventually landing on the idea of a psychological horror game, a direct contrast to the massively popular Resident Evil series. And thus, Silent Hill was born. Keiichiro Toyama was assigned as director and would develop the game's scenario. While he admittedly didn't care much for horror movies, He did have an appreciation for the obtuse and often esoteric cinematic stylings of David Lynch and stories of the occult, which became two key inspirations for the mythos of Silent Hill. The town itself was largely a Japanese interpretation of what a small American town would look like, also borrowing heavily from Western art to include depictions from European and Russian culture. As the game did not have the budget of more mainstream titles of the time, and Team Silent, frankly, had nothing to lose, the focus ended up being less on pushing sales figures and more on the team's passion for the artistry involved. They wanted the plot and atmosphere to truly resonate with the player, leaving a lasting impression, even if that meant the game would not necessarily be considered fun by conventional standards. Regardless, when the game was announced at E3 1998, It was met with enthusiastic applause and palpable anticipation. Even Konami could not ignore this reaction, suddenly pivoting from completely ignoring and neglecting the project to pouring resources into public relations and advertising for its eventual release. On February 23rd of 1999 in North America and Europe and March 4th in Japan, Silent Hill would be released to the masses. Despite an uncertain and tumultuous development cycle, Silent Hill would be met with near universal praise, receiving an aggregate score of 86 on Metacritic, while going on to sell over 2 million units. It did not go completely untouched, however, with many initial reviews, perhaps unfairly, calling it an excellent but shameless Resident Evil club. Silent Hill has left a legacy of numerous sequels and spin offs of varying quality. Up until the infamously cancelled Silent Hills project in 2015, which would have seen collaboration with celebrated film director Guillermo del Toro and actor Norman Reedus of Walking Dead fame. Additionally, the Silent Hill franchise has also branched out into comics, novelizations of the first three titles, two films of dubious quality, and most recently, Pachinko Machines. Thanks, Konami. You are the worst, and that is your brief history of Silent Hill.
0: First of all, thank you. Yes, uh, for the brief history, Shane. You're welcome. Second of all, we need to throw in the Jim Sterling, uh, you know, honorary Jim Sterling sound effect of pull the lever.
1: Oh, it'll it it, it it'll be in there. Yeah. For sure.
0: Third of all, yes. give me big titty, give me big titty puppet corpse nurses or give me death was Patrick Henry, not Thomas Paine. Ah. So all you patriots out there, please don't kill me. I'm just, <laughs> I I remember it incorrectly. I got a, some founding fathers messed up and I will uh, flagellate myself with 21 George Washingtons.
1: There you go. That's Also known as a dollar.
0: I'll pay myself $21. <laughs>
1: I like how you turn that one around. (laughs) That's good. Uh, So, uh, so we, we have, we have a lot. We have a lot to talk about here. And I know I've said that on a a couple other episodes. Okay, yeah. To be fair, I have a lot to talk about. (laughs) This is going to be one of those episodes where it's probably just going to be me just rambling a lot about stuff because I I have a lot of things to say about this game and the series in general. But I'm going to try to keep it contained to just the first one because eventually we will talk about the other ones.
0: Yes. And I'll probably be more in tune with those because i think there's more to talk about in those games and shane does a real deep dive into this one or it looks like he's about to
1: (laughs) chris is just gazing on our show notes and being like oh god but um well you know what why don't we why don't we start uh as we are as we are wont to do with our personal experiences and uh chris why don't you go ahead and go first How, how did you uh how did you come about playing silent hill
0: I actually came about playing this game at release back in
1: 1999,
0: and I would say the biggest reason I got it is, one, I was into Resident Evil. I was a big Resident Evil fan at the time. I would just gotten through, of course, Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2, and I was also a huge fan of Metal Gear Solid. So here's another Konami game that's in the Resident Evil style of uh, concept, you know, survival horror, at least how it's advertised. That's going to be another horror game. And I was like, this is my jam. So I had to get on it. And, you know, I, I played through it back in 1999. And when I mean played through it, I, I made it about an hour in the game and I stopped playing because it scared the absolute piss out of me. <laughs> uh, I actually ended up getting back to it, ended up playing it again about two years ago, maybe a little bit longer, and going through the game until completion just because, you know, this is a game I always wanted to beat. It's a series that's some you know very revered in the eyes of gamers. So I had to owe it to myself to go through and beat the game. I think I actually beat it sometime after we started recording this podcast. So probably maybe three, you know, five or six years, uh, five or four years ago is when I when I beat this game. So yeah, mm-hmm. that that's my own personal experience with this game. How about yourself, Shane?
1: Yeah, so I surprisingly, because especially since Chris has been like building up to this whole thing about me being this crazy Silent Hill fan or whatever, I I didn't play it um, upon original release. So a couple of things. If you've been listening to this show long enough, you know, uh, A, that is not unusual for me. B, I did not own a PlayStation when I was younger. So again, you would probably see this one coming. Um, and so I I actually started the Silent Hill series with two, with the second one, uh, thanks uh, in no small part to uh, my my best friend at the time uh, during high school, uh, Jake. He, um, he had it for his PlayStation 2, and honestly, if it weren't for him inviting me over to like uh, have sleepovers at his place and just play this game until like three in the morning, I never would have gotten into the silent hill series as much as I did. Um, so I have, I have him to thank for that. And so I started with two, I immediately went on and played three and then eventually four. Uh, and so I didn't circle back around to this one, uh, until much later. I, I actually didn't even start playing this one until only a few years ago. I, I picked up a physical copy of it, which I still have. Uh, I think it was on sale, uh, online at some point, And I was like, you know what? I should get that. And so I grabbed it and I sat down one day and just uh, actually I knocked out the whole game in like a day because uh, we will we'll probably end up touching on this later. But I might as well just say it now that like you can finish this game in a casual playthrough, like basically in an afternoon, um, assuming you don't have anything else to do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that that was kind yes. of my initial experiences with it.
0: So wait, wait, where did you where did you download this from? How, how did you play it this time? Like did you get get it legally or did you play it by any other means?
1: Uh you you mean in, in preparation for this episode?
0: No, just the first time you played the first Silent Hill. You said you saw an online sale for it. I know you don't have a PS3.
1: Oh, uh yeah. No, well I meant like I actually bought the physical copy online and and played it in my in my PS2.
0: No shit. Yeah. No way. Okay. That, that had to be a long time ago, because now it's a it's a pretty expensive game.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. But, yeah, I mean, it was several years ago, I guess, at this point. so, But, no, I, I still have the physical copy sitting here at my house.
0: So were you into Resident Evil? I think we've had this conversation before about Resident Evil. I can't remember. This was last year uh, when we had a Resident Evil episode. But were you big into Resident Evil at around around that time that it came out or, or the same time you're playing Silent Hill 2 or, or Silent Hill?
1: Uh, actually, no. Um, I... I, so I think if I recall correctly, and I probably mentioned this in our, in our resi episode, but, um, I, my memories of resident evil were like renting a PlayStation from our local blockbuster and trying to beat resident evil before we had to return and (laughs) return the, the rental. And so like resident evil was always this weird thing. That I never had a lot of experience with uh, because the the consoles I owned were always just like strictly Nintendo stuff.
0: Because I mean, you could have gotten Resident Evil 2. I mean, regardless of the fact that the thing that stuck out about this game when it came out is that Resident Evil was a it was starting to develop more into action, particularly with Resident Evil 2. And by the time you got to the original Silent Hill release, as I remember it like Resident Evil 3 started to come out and Resident Evil Code Veronica was on the horizon. It was right around that time frame. So a lot of people like to point to Resident Evil 4 as the action development for the Resident Evil series, right? Yeah. But already with like Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil Code Veronica, it was already heading down that path. So sure. you had Silent Hill and it was, it was like everyone was saying it was a Resident Evil game. But when you played it, at least for me, what I found it to be is it was a much more terrifying experience in 1999. It was a much scarier game. It was a much more based around horror. Now, it doesn't mean like they didn't have B-horror elements. We'll get to that later. It's definitely a B-horror kind of movie game. But the actual way that they delivered on the horror at the time, and this is what I'm saying my own personal experience, I stopped playing usually around the school, mm-hmm. like right after the school. And that's just because I couldn't – First of all, I couldn't take it anymore from, like, kind of the puzzles and trying to figure out what to do because they were a little bit more involved in Resident Evil. And, again, we'll get into that later. But just the overall atmosphere and the way that it delivered its horror and the kind of horror it was trying to deliver made it much more spoopy than <laughs> Resident Evil, uh, which is mostly, like, jump scares. It's comparing Five Nights at Freddy to Amnesia, essentially, uh, in today's world. So... Yeah, they're both. They both have their freak out factor, but Resident Evil is much more about the jump scare. There's the atmosphere itself, and you could argue, yes, it has more atmosphere than Five Nights at Freddy's. And maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. You can yell at me later, but <laughs> it 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 certainly was a scarier. It certainly was a scarier experience in Resident Evil back in the day, as I remember it.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, so the the atmosphere I think of Silent Hill is far more. Oppressive, um, and in a in a in a good way, if you're talking about horror games specifically. But, but yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, there are certain horror games that I can only play in short spurts because it is just so constant and and oppressive and suspenseful that like I can't do it for more than like an hour or two at a time. Like I need a break. And um, and Silent yeah. Hill is is definitely is, can definitely be one of those for sure. So you mentioned kind of like a little bit of the B-movie-esque quality of it, which kind of goes pretty well into our yes. discussion of some of the plot and writing of the game. Um, I might make the argument that it's not 100% like B-movie material. Um, I, I It's funny because that's actually something that was specifically brought up in a lot of discussions of the game is that it was a little bit of a departure from that in that a lot of horror-esque games up until that point were very much rooted in real, like, schlocky B-movie stuff. And though I think some of that still exists here, for sure, um, I do think it is a, a step away from that, in that the team did try to focus much more on the more psychological elements um, and creating that sense of dread rather than relying on outright you know gore and jump scares and shock value
0: right but again i think it goes back to more of the delivery from the characters like the plot and writing how the plot is presented Mm -hmm. so again you go back to toyama and his obsession with david lynch Mm. and he wanted to bring david lynch uh, and, and and his vision into the silent hill experience right david lynch is not known for making phenomenal horror movies like they're they're really cheesy horror movies he's twin peaks dude that's David Lynch, so
1: I, f- <laughs> I feel at- like you might be pissing off a lot of cine- cinephiles by saying that. I, I I wouldn't say that David Lynch is cheesy. I he is purposefully obfuscated and cryptic. Like I mean, if you look at something like Eraserhead, I wouldn't call Eraserhead cheesy. That movie is downright fucking unsettling for a lot of the reasons actually that silent hill ends up being that way
0: yeah well i know twin peaks is not known for its great acting but it might be unsettling that's what i'm kind of trying to get to Yeah. is you look at a lot of those movies the acting isn't top quality the the plot and writing might not be the best but the overall atmosphere that they provide much like in silent hill what is provided not so much through the plot and through the writing and through and through the delivery Mm -hmm. but it's more through the environment right the environment is what is what is what is scaring the shit out of you. The actual plot and writing is just typical kind of just just cheesy cult shit. And and that's how I view it is like, oh, the cult's doing some some crazy crap and trying to do some stuff with a kid and trying to put the body of a spirit into another child or whatever the fuck. Right. (laughs) But (laughs) that's that to me was was secondary to what was actually happening to the main character to, to Henry Mason whereas he's going through this this adventure through the city of Silent Hill or the town of Silent Hill and it's just bonkers It's fucking bonkers it, but that I don't know if you would call that part of the plot or writing you could say it's you know there's exposition to explain it but the actual plot and writing itself I think takes a back seat to the actual experience that the player is going through Sh- yeah sure I know that 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 sounds kind of contradictory but that's kind of how i see it
1: well i mean it is and it isn't i mean so so i i i don't necessarily disagree with you uh and 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 actually i think what you're starting to touch on here is speaking to i think what a lot of players uh well felt but also feel if you're coming to this for the first time you know now and and that is that and it's one of the issues i personally actually have with it it is that Silent Hill 1 specifically has a real issue with being like overtly cryptic and and too vague particularly with a lot of what should be crucial plot points for the player to even understand what is happening to them now i now i totally understand that on some level the team needed to be somewhat cryptic in order to provide that that sense of you know uncertainty and suspense and dread that they're trying to achieve for the player which which they do achieve but i think they actually took it just a step too far and and that's part of the issue so all right so unlike the other games in the series and and Chris and i kind of end up going back to silent hill 2 a lot in Both our notes about this, but also just in discussions outside of this episode, because I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it as far as I'm concerned. Silent Hill 2 is perhaps one of, if not the best horror game ever made. And we will definitely talk about it sometime later. Um, And it's really hard to talk about this one with that. Like you know, future knowledge of where the series goes, and not letting that sort of color your perception of this one. It's really, really hard. But the one of the biggest differences here is that the first Silent Hill, unlike two, it, it focuses more on the the history of Silent Hill, the town itself, and sort of the occult background that it has prior to it becoming like the sort of lake resort destination that it is supposed to be at that present time, or at least prior to, you know, the, the nightmare kind of taking over the town. Um, Whereas like Silent Hill 2 is much more of like a deep psychological study of a person. So with that, you know, you're trying to learn more about what occurred in this town to lead up to causing what is happening now and what Harry is experiencing and in a very sort of Dark Souls-esque kind of way, you tend to learn about those things through uh, item descriptions or notes left around the, the the play area, around the town.
0: Well, well, I wouldn't call it the Dark Souls kind of way. I would say that is kind of an element that they borrowed from Resident Evil, which did predate those. Okay, I
1: mean, that sure, that's fair. Yeah, I, I'm just – I go to that a lot because that's always the first thing that comes to mind when I think of storytelling through – Items and and like no, flavor I, I, I text and stuff. It. But but yes, you're right. It's definitely something that was cribbed from Resident Evil for sure. Uh so so that's how you get a lot of that, except for perhaps the arguably too long exposition dump like halfway through the game where it's like a 10 minute cutscene, but regardless. <laughs> um, But the problem with that, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is that they're almost too obtuse. And the only reason, and I put this in all caps in our show notes, the only reason I know why anything is happening in this plot is largely just due to development of the future games in the series and a lot of the like supplemental materials that were created after the fact. And to me that's a problem like the fact that you as a player would go and sit down with this game uh, when it came out in 1999 and not have any knowledge right of anything having to do with the quote-unquote mythos of this town you end up getting to these like very crucial pivotal moments in the story and you're just sitting there wondering what the hell is going on and why this is apparently being presented as some important plot twist or something because you don't even have like the the essential building blocks of the story like down you you don't even understand those properly and so how can you be expected to have this big like you know emotional impact of something when you're not even clear on the specifics right so that's that's a big well, well, issue that I tend to so have. So what
0: you're there. saying is, what you're saying is that Silent Hill is up its own ass too far.
1: Yes, yes, I, I I will 100% say that. I love this series, but this one in particular, and I'm not saying that the others are completely innocent from this either. But I think they learned from their mistakes. But this first entry, I do think, is a little too up its own ass. It took that like. Let's be like David Lynch and be super cryptic and obtuse and took it just a little bit too far to where it's almost impossible to fully understand what the actual plot is or why people are doing what they're doing or what the purpose of certain artifacts or items are that you find in the game. Like, I mean, okay. I I wrote down some examples and these are rhetorical questions, so we don't need to answer them here, right? Because frankly, there aren't even answers for some of these, but like Dr. Kaufman, right? He gets introduced. You never actually figure out what his real stake in this game is like what he has to do with the, the ritual that this cult is trying to perform to resurrect a, a demon God. Like why does he care? And what does he have to do with this implied drug trafficking thing that was occurring in the town, which is a weird subplot in and of itself that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, and, And like the exact nature of the red liquid that you find that apparently exercises demons, which for the record, I will give them a pass on this one because this is one you can actually find out if you go and do a little bit of research on your own. For the record, a lot of these things that they put in this game are actually rooted in in real, like, occult writings and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. They did their homework.
0: Well, Toyama was was invested in the occult, so that right. makes sense. At least according to, you know, lore, like what, what what you hear in the reports of Toyama. Right,
1: exactly. And so, like, the, this red liquid, which becomes, like, a super pivotal part of the end of the story for this game, assuming you did a couple of things that you needed to do to get there... Um, it's called a, a and apparently, according to those texts, it is an herb that is mentioned, and there is a Greek doctor, uh, D- Dioscorides. I probably butchered that, but we'll go with it. Uh, he claimed it to be a member of the peony flower family, and it is evidently used to ward off demons and witches. So with that knowledge, totally makes sense of what why it does what it does in the plot of this game but if you didn't go and look that up you'd have no fucking idea or like the creatures that harry encounters and and the nightmare realm that occurs when the air raid siren like sounds off in silent hill like who's causing that why is it happening like what is the source of it you get some notion of why that occurs but a lot of it is left like intentionally really vague or some like plot critical artifacts that give either get given to Harry or that he finds like the seal of Metatron or some of that other shit. Like why do they do what they do? Why does it have the effect that it does on Alessa? Like, you know, a lot of this stuff just doesn't get explained.
0: Brief tangential note. Whenever I hear Metatron, I know it's like a Gnostic, a Gnostic reference in, Mm. in Christianity, a very obscure Gnostic reference, but I always think of it as a transformer.
1: That's, I mean, that's fair. The, the seal of Megatron.
0: <laughs> it's the seal of, is this it's the prime Metatron. It's here. <laughs> it is not an Autobot nor Decepticon, but a unification of both to save the world.
1: That's right. And and speaking of unification, I know this is a huge tangent, but y'all knew that this was, was going to happen when I start talking about Silent Hill. So yeah. let's just roll with it. Speaking of unification. And I'm still here. Yeah, it's, Chris is still here. He's just listening like the rest of you. This is my soapbox, so shut up. (laughs) But, no, okay. One of of the most central points of the plot of this game does not even get fully or directly explained, but is rather inferred. And that is Mm -hmm. that Cheryl, which is Harry's daughter, who he loses at the beginning of, of, of the game, she runs off and gets lost in Silent Hill. That's the whole motivation for why he even goes into this town in the first place. Is the incarnation of half of the girl Alessa's soul, which was split when the the day that she was maimed and burnt by her home's boiler, which uh, also was inferred that, that might have been intentional, by the way, as part of this uh, ritual that her mother was conducting to have her birth mm. a god. And that was only mentioned in a note that Harry can find on the floor somewhere in the game, but it's very easily missed. And bonus, that note is not even present in the North American version of the game for some completely unknown reason.
0: Okay, I'm going to forgive all these vague plot points. You want to know why I'm going to forgive them, Shane? Sure, why? Because through the eyes of Henry Mason, there's only one thing Henry Mason cares about. Where the fuck is my daughter? Sure. So... If, if, if you take that as a as a basis, like, hey, uh, the plot is you're Henry Mason and you're trying to find your daughter. I don't think Henry Mason gives two flying fucks what Kaufman's actual stake is. I don't think he cares about the cult. I don't think he cares about their motivations. I don't think he cares about a lot of the things that you as a player are trying to find out information for. And I think that's why Silent Hill 2 works a lot better. Um, and that's what they've learned is right. Silent Hill 2 was all about that main character's you know, all internal desires. So everything revolved around that main character. So understanding more plot elements for that game explored more elements of what the motivations and the the identity of the main character. This has nothing to do with that. You're just trying to find your daughter. So at the end of the day, like, I have a goal, I'm trying to do it, and everything around that goal is happening. And yeah, it's interesting shit, but to the main character it doesn't matter. So if they had like side stories or, or, or visual novels that explained it, I think that would be acceptable in this case.
1: I see, I disagree because I don't you okay, I disagree on that last part. I agree that you are correct in that Harry probably does not give a single flying fuck about why there are like s- skin skinless pterodactyls. Who did, what did I say? Harry. Ha- no, it's Harry. Harry Mason. I thought it was um, Henry. No, it's Harry. So oh, same I think I am sure he does not give two shits about really why any of it's happening. He just wants to find his daughter and fuck right off from that place. Like I'm sure any of us would. That's fair. What I'm saying is that I feel like it is a disservice to the player to not properly surface and explain all of this lore that you're trying to build into the game, playing through an eight hour story experience and coming out the other end being like, I actually am not sure I understand 95% of what the fuck just happened to me is not like a satisfying conclusion. Like, and, and, but, but I think, I think it is
0: a satisfying conclusion. If you just consider that you're only trying to achieve Harry's
1: motivations. But I don't I, I would argue that I don't think a lot of players are. I think they would want to know well, like what and here's the thing. It's also a disservice great. to no, but it's a disservice to the actual plot and the lore because to the team's credit, they put a ton of like actual backstory and lore into this world of Silent Hill that very, very easily gets missed because it is just not communicated well.
0: Again, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on my stance. I'm going to sit on my little flagpole over here and say, if Harry Mason wouldn't give two flying fucks mm-hmm. about those questions in the search for his daughter, myself as the player don't necessarily have to.
1: OK, well, then I think that's a point that you and I can can disagree on.
0: We will. We'll agree to disagree. But I mean, I, I agree yeah. to you for the point that if a player does want to get more invested and does want to find out more about the lore and the other characters motivations, that that option should be available to them. And it, it it is kind of, you know, it, it's maybe it's not fair to the player. You know, I think you find out a lot about Kaufman's motivations through Lisa and her story. Um, and that's that's tragic. I do think the story about Lisa is, is phenomenal plot writing. I think she's one of the best characters in the game. Yeah. And her ending is very, very tragic and very sad. But, you know, other than that, I, I, I can understand why they would take the direction they did.
1: Yeah. And so I feel like I need to like cap off our kind of discussion about the plot and writing just to say that that was a lot of ranting on my behalf, but don't let that detract from the fact that I still think the actual lore of this game and the subsequent, you know, games is stellar. And I thoroughly enjoy it. My gripes are just with, I think, what I felt were some of the missteps in how they were actually communicating it. That's all.
0: Play the game with my mentality and you're still going to have a good
1: time <laughs> with the plot. <laughs> right.
0: This is what he's trying so I, to say. So,
1: right. So, I, I guess speaking of <laughs> of gameplay, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I think this is your chance to gripe a little bit. I don't think I'm really going to gripe. No? I'm not going to gripe okay. too much.
0: No. no. So, I mean, yeah. So, first of all, do they have tank controls in this game? Yes. Tank controls were everything mostly because this is a PlayStation game. I don't remember if it was compatible or not with the analog controller. I don't know if it's dual shot compatible or not. I can't really remember. But it does have it does have tank controls. However, a lot of the game is over the shoulder, so it's more comparable with like Resident Evil 4. So it's not completely infuriating, if I'm going to be entirely honest. I think the controls actually work. They work a lot better than Resident Evil. I think I think Harry controls much, much, much better. Than you know Chris or Jill or Leon or Claire. I think that that sticks out immediately as someone who was playing this game these games back in the day. What is uh, and other factors that are great are the radio and how creepy that is and every single time mm-hmm. and especially when you're out in the city, mm-hmm. just know it, hearing the static and knowing that something's around you somewhere. Just you don't know where because the fog and. Now you have to be on your ready, or you have to run. One of the two. Are you going to fight or flight? I think that that was brilliant. I think that's a really, a really good way to implement tension, and a really good way to implement fear. What isn't a good way to implement fear is the awkward swinging of the lead pipe that you'll inevitably be using to fight off enemies, and uh, the the, the goofy way enemies look. Uh, and <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to graphics. But um, so what isn't goofy is when you're like trying to get. When you get into like the school or the hospital and you're fighting against essentially ghost children and nurses and they move more sporadically and depending on your loadout and stuff like that, like it can get really tense or like the sewers when you're just running through the sewers and you're trying to you can you can fight the enemies or you can just sprint through it and and try to get through. I think that really gives the feeling more of survival horror, anything more than Resident Evil had, if what I remember correctly up until that point. And again, I I probably have Resident Evil people like throwing poop at me right now, but you just got to like, I just remember that being more like because Harry's more of a regular guy, he's not some sort of commando on a special forces team. He's just a dude. And that is really shown through the gameplay. If you run too long, Harry breathes heavily. Harry Mm -hmm. welds a lead pipe like any of us would weld a lead pipe as we're trying to swing manically at ferocious monsters. Uh, His aiming and targeting is always isn't always precise with the weapons, just like you would expect out of most civilians. Uh, He is, you know, it's really reflected that you are controlling the average Joe. And I think in that aspect that that kind of makes Silent Hill more, more scary and and more tense than what you would get out of the Resident Evil experience just because, you know, you're controlling some Joe off the street. Some Harry off the street because his name's not Joe. So you can <laughs> say, you can, you can, I can look at the gameplay, and is it perfect? No. And you know, this is this is from a bygone era of the PlayStation days where they were still trying, they still had to make games with respect to the digital control pad because not everyone had a DualShock or an analog controller. So, yes, you're going to have problems in a 3D environment that are easily corrected today. However, I do think that they did a very good job of translating the overall feel of the environment, the feel of the character, and putting that in the environment of which they did to complement it appropriately.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and for the record, like, I, I listen, I don't like the tank controls any more than the next person, but I will say that though they are sort of like objectively awful I uh, you get used to it pretty quickly and so if you're sitting down and playing this game or resident evil or whatever they are still kind of cumbersome like you will find harry just like running into chairs or spinning around in place and that kind of garbage because like an alien
0: in colonial marines yeah <laughs>
1: Right. Because <laughs> there it's it's just not a great control scheme, but you know, it's what they had to work with at the time. But you do get used to it fairly quickly, and it's not it's not that bad, to be fair. Um, and yes, you are right. I think Harry's controls are definitely an improvement over Resident Evil in that, you know, you have a, a greater degree of control over your character, um, particularly with the camera. And so that I want to talk a little bit about that, because that is right. a A big part of the gameplay and the presentation of the game, which I think um, serves it incredibly well. So one of the things that, you know, was already sort of a hallmark of these sort of survival horror games, a la Resident Evil, were fixed camera angles. And to be frank, I'm actually a little bummed that this doesn't get used as much nowadays because I think it actually is very effective if done correctly. Absolutely. But this game absolutely does this very well where even, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit because I I need to at least touch on this one thing in particular, but within the first few minutes of the game, even the developers are already like flexing at you (laughs) and like just showing you what they're going to do for the rest of this game where you've got these fixed angles, but not only is it just a static fixed angle, but as you move Harry down like, you know, an alleyway, the camera actually dynamically moves and like swerves around in this very cinematic fashion as he moves through. And it's just, it's done so well. And so that, in conjunction with the fact that because these are fully 3D spaces, unlike Resident Evil, where you had pre-rendered backgrounds, that affords you much, much more control, precise control, specifically, over... Uh, over your character than you would have had in those other games. So though it is still a little clunky, um, it, for the record, it was an improvement uh, at the time.
0: And I, I think I do, that does deserve a lot of mentioning. And it's inevitable that we're going to be comparing this to Resident Evil just because they were of the same era. Sure. Even though, again, I, I, I think it's unfair to call it a Resident Evil clone. They they have so many differences. They're, they're, they're two survival horror games, absolutely. But we're going to list so many differences that you get here. I mean, there are a lot of similarities. They're of the same genre. So that's inevitable, but just the fact that this is a fully 3d environment. And I don't think resident evil did that until code Veronica. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they still had pre-rendered backgrounds for resident evil three, but I definitely know the first two resident evils were pre-rendered backgrounds. Right. So you're now you're, now you're taking, you're taking high resolution environments and you're, you're, you're making it all 3d. And that's an accomplishment in, in and of itself, just because of, you're still able to bring that atmosphere with with the detail that the era provided you in a 3D environment and to stick with stick to your guns and still have the fixed camera angles. Yeah, and they did it really well. And you not being able to really control the camera does does raise the level of tension. It does raise the level of angst and. Yeah, you look at a lot of like if you go over the shoulder that you have in like Dead Space, I think that does take away from a lot of the horror elements that that game that can provide, because now you can look wherever and see wherever, and and the the fear of the unknown isn't as present as it as it could be that you have in this game because everything is just sort of subliminally there.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, because like I don't, I don't listen. I don't know about anybody else that's listening to this right now, but I know for myself if I am given. The, the complete freedom to move the camera anywhere I want, especially in a horror game, you bet your ass the first thing I am doing every time I come to a corner is swinging that camera around so that I can see what is down that hallway before I stick my head out ever, every single time. And so, and I, I, and I think they knew that. Right. And so that's why they were able to use this to really great effect because you just straight up cannot do that. And so you may hear like to Chris's earlier point, you may hear your, your radio start spitting out static and you're like, oh shit, there's, there's something here, but I can't see it. I don't know where it is. And you can't move that camera. You, if you want to progress, you just need to face that fear and walk your happy ass forward and confront whatever it is that is around that corner and that is that can be daunting
0: I, I, I completely agree but let's move on to the puzzles and i'm just gonna be honest i fucking cheated i used a guide <laughs> <laughs> uh the puzzles
1: yeah so we, we couldn't talk about game mechanics in a silent hill game without talking about puzzles so I think this is another one of those things that I think they refined with the the future iterations uh, in some aspects. There are other aspects where I think they actually made them even stupider, but we can talk about that at a later time. Uh, But the puzzles in this game are a little weird because for the most part, I think they tend to hit the right balance between being like super easy, just like, oh, yeah, you do this thing and just... 100% 100% obtuse like a lot of adventure games uh, that came before it. I'm looking at you, King's Quest, specifically. Uh. <laughs> but so here's a good example. And, and this is actually probably the point where I think actually you said you just gave up at one point. Um, the, yeah. the first set of riddles that you come across in this game are in the, the elementary school. And the balancing on those is just like super weird. So you have one that's just straightforward. It's, hey, get this item and use it on this thing and to obtain key. Okay, done. Like, that's cool. You feel good about yourself. You did a thing. Now you have a key. And then there's the fucking piano. So th- that's the point where actually a lot of people uh, either just gave up or got super frustrated with this game, especially back then, but even now. Um just because of kind of how off the wall it is. So we don't need to go into details about it, but suffice to say you get this like riddle that's written in blood on, on a, on a chalkboard and it has to do with birds. And then from that, you're supposed to figure out which keys on a keyboard you're supposed to, or a piano rather, you're supposed to press in which correct order to unlock an item that you, that is required to progress further uh, in the area and it's that sort of like weird, like balance in like complexity in the puzzles that it's kind of throws people off. I think, but you said you just said fuck it and you just went yeah. for a guide, right?
0: Yeah, and I don't, know, I don't know, like I, I can't remember the exact specifics of the piano puzzle, but don't you need to like have some sort of musical acumen? Like you have to have some understanding of piano keys and what they are, because if if you look at a piano, I know what I know what key is C. I know what what middle C is. But not everyone fucking knows that.
1: Uh, well, so no, you don't. Um, it, it's really just centered around which keys are white keys and which keys are black keys. And then you have to sort of match that up with white birds and black birds, but then figure out based on the text of the riddle, which keys you're supposed to press in which order. But they never it's supposed to go from left to right on the piano keys, but they never explicitly say that. And so it's a lot of just, like, sitting there and pounding on a keyboard, like, trying to trial and error your way through it, really.
0: And see, that that ruins the experience. And that's why I'm not a big fan of just puzzles and, and survival horror games in general. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Resident Evil does it okay. I think they do a pretty good job of their puzzles. Because they, they don't require much thought. They're pretty basic. They're not overtly frustrating. But when you start incorporating adventure-style elements into your horror games unless it's an adventure game like clock tower i don't i don't want to fuck around with it that's not why i'm playing the fucking game like if you're trying to scare me scare me but then when you frustrate me i stop i stop caring about whether i'm scared and i start being like i don't want to play this anymore
1: yeah and that's a totally fair reaction and it's one that i've had i mean again we're talking about silent hill one but we we can't not talk about you know things that came later really and They expanded upon the puzzles in the future games, but then they also made it so that the puzzles were difficult depending on which game difficulty you picked. So if you played on the hardest difficulty in, like, Silent Hill 2, the puzzles were just stupidly obtuse and difficult, which is not fun to anyone. And you know what? I know that we're not—it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to try to apply, like— real world reason and logic into a game about supernatural horror right Uh but at the same time i kind of have to agree with you that i i I almost feel like the game would have been better off just without the puzzles because even in universe they don't make any sense it doesn't make sense for them to be there
0: they're just there. Like in Resident Evil, there was a little bit of sense. It's a mansion. It's it's it actually it's more of a laboratory that's using the mansion as a as a front. Right. Right. So it makes sense where they're having weird passcodes and everything like that in there. I mean, not total sense. Absolutely. It's still you it, know it's a horror fantasy game. But in Silent Hill, like it's about a bunch of fucking crazy cultists and they're setting up weird puzzles
1: about I mean, birds. Y- maybe you could make the argument that they would do that. And I would say that I think. Later into the game, when you start really just delving into like either the the nowhere realm or like when you're in the the, the nightmare version of the town, yeah, really weird esoteric puzzles maybe make more sense in that setting, but I, I don't I know, think man. they make less sense. Really, you think so?
0: Yeah, because it's the nightmare world. So why would there be intelligently designed puzzles in a world where it's like the the all the walls are covered in blood and flesh?
1: Well, I suppose you go down a rabbit hole of trying to justify that by saying that all of that stuff was conjured up from Alessa's subconscious, and so she Possibly. could be the one doing it,
0: but... Wouldn't you think the puzzle should be very childish and simple in nature, then? That, that's,
1: yeah, that's probably fair. Although, actually, for for the record, I don't think she was actually a child anymore at the time that this occurred. But anyway, that's, l- that's listen okay. to our Silent Hill lore podcast coming soon. Oh. Jesus,
0: please. No, don't do that to me.
1: Uh, it's fine. It'll be my that'll be my my RH guidance. It'll just be me just pontificating about Silent Hill lore for like three hours. If you don't know what RH guidance is, Shane's getting right on that. Don't worry. Yeah, totally. Any day now. Mm-hmm. It'll happen. <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess what? We should probably talk about graphics next. Right. That's kind of a big part of this. Yeah. What are we seeing? right um oh actually before we move on real quick just quick shout out oh. to the map in this game i i i love how this map was implemented i wish more games would do this it makes navigating so much easier when the map gets automatically updated to tell you like where dead ends uh-huh. are and where to go to find things and it's it's the right it's the right amount of handholding without being too handholdy so a, a plus on that one
0: again it's what the average person would have done in you know, Harry's the average guy. Exactly. And you would have he, he's confused. He's lost. He's just trying to navigate his way through his town. So if he has a map, that's what he's going to do. It makes right. sense. Yeah. All right. So graphics. Uh, this is a PS1 game, everybody. Uh, don't expect <laughs> sure, sure anything is. more than it being a PS1 game. Uh, so like even people still don't know whether it's snowing or it's ashing, most because of the movie the game says it's snowing. It might be snowing. I think it's snowing. A lot of the other people think it's ash falling down. It doesn't matter, though. It's just white particles. And it takes place in Maine. We know it snows in Maine every day of the year.
1: Yep. That's that is factual.
0: Never stop snowing unless it's 2020. I guess they had a rough year this year. Yeah, it didn't snow enough. But we all know it always snows in Maine. That's just because it's like Canada. It never rains, right?
1: No, no. Anyway, it, there's actually no season other than winter. That's that's it.
0: Exactly. So what what you have in the graphics, it's, it's OK. Expect PS1 type graphics. Uh, a lot of a lot of, you know, polygonal looking characters, they look good for a PS1 game. But at the end of the day, it's it's a PS1 game. They're, it just there's no other way I can really say it. You have the fog, which everyone really loves. And, you know, that's that's kind of a joke I said for a long time is it's so foggy outside. It's like Silent Hill where I can only navigate with uh, with an erect penis. So about six <laughs> inches in front of me and I'm being very generous to myself. And that wasn't because they, they it was a, you know, intentional design decision going into it. It was kind of to hide the draw distances. Mm-hmm. And that is a brilliant way to do it in in the concept of a in a horror game. Because again, if you go back to the unknown, the things that can hurt you that aren't there, you won't be able to see them because you put up this artificial layer of fog, which of course is to help make the games a more smoother experience, but adds to more of the the horror of everything that's going on. Just just fog is creepy, y'all. Fog is Word. a creepy thing. But I also say the the pre rendered graphics, um, the fact that they're not there and you have a fully three d three d effect, I say that's especially. Amazing that they did do is the nightmare world the hell world Mm -hmm. and how dark and dingy and how much they do convey it of being an environment of of violence and being unsettling now the famous scene where you see the corpse hung up on on the fencing that that's kind of taken away now uh because of you know graphical fidelity or the symbols on the floor that you see uh, when you come back and you know it's it's all grainy and it's not well defined and one, of course, they didn't have a huge budget. And two, again, like I said, I have mul- said multiple times, it's a PS1 game. So take it with a grain of salt. Don't go into here expecting anything amazing. It's you, probably going to hurt the overall horror experience for many people. But just remember, in 1999, this shit looked good.
1: Yeah, and I, you know what? I, I, I might make the argument that, though I think it will have you know, a a detracting effect for some folks, um, especially if you were not around to have any sort of nostalgia for this kind of era at all. I I would actually argue that I think it helps the game in some cases. So, so the first thing I want to touch on real quick, just so that we can gush a little bit more about the fog is that this is just the definition of like a happy accident. Holy shit. Like, can you imagine if this game didn't have the fog, it would have had just such a completely different effect for the whole game but th- the fact that you know initial testers went through and hold
0: on that's called an that's called an hd remaster by the way
1: do not get me started on that shit that is still sitting <laughs> on my shelf and i hate myself for giving them money for that garbage Ugh. anyway so so
0: yeah that's how you can imagine a world without fog yeah
1: right exactly just don't spend money to find that out <laughs> um but yeah, like – so So testers originally went in and they were complaining about the fact that, you know, the pop-in was just terrible on, on the town. You could see buildings, you know, poofing into existence and it kind of breaks your immersion, right? So – Um, So they implemented the fog to fix that, which it did, but it also had this effect of, as Chris was saying, you know, heightening the tension, but it does this amazing job of making what is an open world, sort of, especially for the time, this, this open space of the town of Silent Hill also feel completely claustrophobic, which is just ingenious in the context of the game. And so, like the fact that they kind of luck sacked their way into that happening is just amazing. But it turned out to be one of probably the most effective things that they could have done. And so talking about, you know, the, the PS one graphics, um, as you said, they're super dated anything from this era, whether it's PS one or N64, like they all look like hot dog shit to be Frank. Like, it, it those are, unless it's 2d well, well, well right but that's what i mean though is like all of the polygonal games that came out in that first era just look like trash now for the most part and for the most part. And, and and so this does not necessarily escape that but i would go ahead and make the argument that i actually think that somehow silent hill kind of manages to take the the consoles of that era the graphical strengths and weaknesses and make them work for the game rather than against it and this is what i mean by that so you do get the fully 3d like very detailed environments particularly for the time right and that's sort of the strength of the playstation um, during that era but you also on the flip side have these you know slightly blurred and often difficult to discern objects and and creature textures and stuff like chris mentioned like the body that's hanging on the fence at the beginning of the game and a lot of the other you know horrifying things that you come across as you progress through but i would make the argument that that actually it lends to the game's overall unsettling nature like i don't want A Silent Hill one HD remake and not just because they fucked up the HD collection of two and three, but just I I actually think it would do the game a disservice because if you see these things in these like super crisp, like 4K clean ass looking textures, I think you're going to lose a lot of the aesthetic that this game has going for it.
0: I, I completely agree. Um, I think you can clean it up a little bit. I have no problem with like kind of a re-release if you just stay true to the original and realize what made the original as good as it was. Yeah, and but they can't won't. really. They won't. No, they won't. <sighs> and they did remake this game for what it's worth. They, they did. I think. It's Are you talking about
1: Noble the Homecoming? reimagining? Shattered memories. One of the two. E- yeah. The reimagining yeah. called shattered memories. Yeah.
0: And, and before we move on to other things, Shane, Shane brought up a, in the show notes, an excellent point about the mm. monster designs which I didn't even consider because we had been talking off off air about how these monster designs don't really make any sense. They don't really fit into the overall story. But Shane really started to do some thinking or digging and then found out why the monsters were the way they were, especially the the, the crazier ones.
1: Oh, yeah. You, you want me to take that?
0: I, I think that was implied.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I I feel like I have to ask. I'm just talking a whole lot right now. But, um, but yeah, so i told chris i was actually the one that brought this up first that i thought that like the pterodactyls particularly in in the beginning and for most of the game was stupid and completely out of place but then i thought more about it and i went and i did you're right i did do a little bit more kind of digging into why the fuck are there pterodactyls in this supernatural horror game And I came to some realizations that actually I think these designs were more ingenious than I gave them credit for. And here's why. So if we are operating on the assumption that the nightmare realm and like vis-a-vis the creatures that come out of it are manifestations of Alessa's tortured subconscious, which is basically the, the, the plot of the game that again, doesn't get explained super well. Um, then actually they start to make sense. So like the giant lizard that you fight, which I think is the first boss, if I remember correctly, that is actually taken from a fairy tale book that you find in the nightmare realm that was there because it's something that Alessa read as a child. Um, Also, by the way, that book functions as a really great like foreshadowing on how to defeat that boss. So kudos to them. And then you get like the worm slash giant moth boss, which again, on the face of it, I was like, what the fuck is this doing here? Why am I fighting a moth? But then later on in the game, when you're going through the nowhere and you end up in a manifestation of Alessa's childhood bedroom, you see that she was a butterfly collector. She had a whole bunch of moths and butterflies in cases on her walls. So now this makes sense. And then the pterodactyls even make sense. Because Alessa read The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle. So that's where you get fucking pterodactyls. So suddenly all these things make sense. But again, it comes back to it's just not communicated well. And so that's why even me being the stupid Silent Hill fan on the face of things was still like, what the fuck is with these pterodactyls though? Right?
0: You know what? Pterodactyls make interesting sounds they screech they sure do and also makes great sounds mm. is this game yeah so let's talk a little about about the phenomenal music which is really good let's do that and so shane actually i'll, I'll take this because you know you, yeah I'll you, say,
1: why, why don't you take this one for a little bit
0: <laughs> like harry you're probably breathing very heavily over there with all the words you spoke so well, i'll take it from you so the music in this game is fucking amazing it's it's very atmospheric it's very environmental Um, it, it's, it's very appropriate for a horror game. It's not the kind of shit you're going to be listening to driving down the freeway unless, you know, you're weird and be weird. I support you being weird, but that's not me. Um, I may have done that before. Yeah, it's, it's cool. You know, you you be you, man, I'm I'm here for it. (laughs) But it's, it's one of those games that, yeah, the, the, the sound design is just so amazing. Not just the music, but overall the, the, the sound design is good from creepy laughs, uh, well-placed bangs, everything that you could ask for in in a horror game. You know, and that includes, your, are there jump scares in here? Yes, and a lot of them are so good because of the audio design. Is there a lot of psychological uncomfortable horror in this game? Yes, because of the sound design. So the sound design really does everything it can to support the overall quality of this game, and I don't think there's any denying that.
1: No. No. No, I'm 100% on board with that. Like, uh, Akira Yamaoka did a phenomenal job with this. And there's really kind of two different styles of music that you end up with in the game. And they work just not only so well together, but for their intended purposes in the game. So there's this incredibly industrial, just very discordant kind of style that is sort of pervasive through a lot of the the nightmare realm portions of the game and that is you know really just to to fit that sort of aesthetic it's very harsh and metallic and it puts the character off it puts you off as the player and, and and but it also does this thing where it makes it really difficult to kind of differentiate between the soundtrack and the environmental noise which again is just this like extra layer of putting you as the player completely on edge and not sure what to expect So much so, in fact, that um, fun little fact about that, when the development team first heard Akira's music in conjunction with the game that they had built so far, they actually thought it was a bug in the game because they thought it was just random sounds coming from like the environment. (laughs) So that sort of like impresses that point further. But then on the the other side of things, you get this really great like lo-fi kind of like light electric guitar slash piano music. And that tends to accompany more of like the emotional or more human sort of scenes in the game. And so you get this very clear auditory distinction between Alessa's manifested nightmares and then what is left of the real world. And it's just... It's just done so well.
0: Absolutely, I don't think there's much more we can say about the sound. It's just one of the strongest elements about the game. I don't think many people are going to complain about it be lacking in sound. So just know it's universally praised. And it's it's phenomenal. Also, I just want to point out, if, if you'd like Silent Hill 2, that when Lisa, spoilers, dies in the game, that the theme that plays during that death sequence is really similar in a lot of the mu- musical composition and makeup of the theme of Laura from Silent Hill too. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Now, same same composer, so take that as a probably just a huge coincidence. But there's a lot of same similar
1: tones in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And as I found, yeah, and you could you could potentially make an argument that there's an intentional connection there, or it could just be coincidence. But either way, it's 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 definitely a cool thing to. To note and so yes. uh, I think like one or two things I want to touch on real quick on the sound before we start to I think kind of wrap this up is I, I cannot overstate the the importance of subtlety this game knows how to do subtle and it knows how to do it well so we talk a lot about the music and the sounds but there's also just this real ingenious use of silence and I, this is one of my gripes with a lot of modern horror, whether it's games or movies, is that everything tries to be in your face all the time. That's the uh, most horror movie trailers. You just end up with the noise and it's ridiculous. But there is a lot to be said for purposeful use of silence. And we are so conditioned now because of a lot of modern horror to associate a lack of sound, the silence, with an inevitable jump scare. Yes, Which is a bummer uh, because that sucks and jump scares largely suck. But Silent Hill does this in a way where that kind of completely subverts that in that you get a lot of moments in the game where there just is, there's no silence, there's no music, there's no sound effects, there's just you and the sound of your footsteps, and that is it. And it puts you on edge because you're expecting like, Oh shit, something's going to jump out of a closet, but then it never does. And that the fact that nothing happens is actually arguably more frightening than something popping out of a locker and trying to scare you. Well- it's it's just it's done so well. I know I'm just like gushing about this, but it, yeah. it it needs to be said.
0: But I mean, the same thing is on the flip side of it, where there is no, there is music that is very unnerving to make it sound like you're constantly under attack or you're you're constantly under pressure or something is chasing you, like chase music, very tense music, mm-hmm. and nothing happens too. Right. So you have instances in the game where you have that. It's it's very much the the music very much makes this game a mind fuck in that but i you know just going back to silence and i just wanted to touch on this really quick is that it that's some, that's more of, i think that's more of a western thing that you always need some sort of audible thing happening constantly and you know silence isn't valued as much i mean i hate to say this as an example but look at dragon ball z <laughs> when that game was being translated by Funimation mm-hmm. or initially. Dragon Ball Z has a lot of silence in it. It doesn't have music playing all the fucking time, but when they initially brought it over, they're having butt rock in the background almost continuously or or some sort of music track playing in the background almost all the time. So I think that's more of a Western thing where you always have to have sound going in because even in Japanese horror, I think they use silence a lot better than what they use in American horror. And that's that that it's created by a japanese development team so that would make sense i mean even though they're trying to make a game for western audiences this is ultimately a game made by japanese people so their culture has to be taken into account
1: of course of course and and i'm i am 100 glad that that is the case because as i just said i think that it it is to the game's benefit that that is the way that this was implemented because i think it would have a very different feel you would not have the same sort of like pervasive like undertone of just dread throughout most of the game if you just had this like auditory exhaustion from this constant like pulsing horror music or something
0: yes so we're gonna go into the wrap-up kind of uh before whether or not we're gonna hold up shane has taken some notes and i've written i think one as well of things we just found interesting about the game. So Shane, go ahead and take away the, the first couple things and I'll, I'll finish it off.
1: Okay, sure, yeah. So these are just some like miscellaneous things that don't really fit into our previous discussion topic points, but um, just one thing that immediately stood out to me going back and playing this again in preparation for this episode was that Sybil just hands her pistol to Harry within like five minutes of meeting him at the diner in Silent Hill. Sybil, for the record, if you're not familiar with the game, is a cop um, from the neighboring town that also kind of gets caught up in everything that's happening here. Just there's no way that anybody would just hand a man a gun that they just met, but much less a a police officer. (laughs) I just want to point that out. Minor thing, but it kind of threw me off a little bit, uh, having looked at it again. Uh, I, I, I guess maybe a more impactful thing might be that... Uh, something that was sort of a running theme in the future Silent Hill games as well is that there are multiple endings four technically five but we'll get to that in a moment but four depending on some of the choices that you make in the game so um, there's basically like a bad bad plus good and good plus ending and they tell you at the end of the game on the end screen which one you got by the way which sort of gives you this impetus to go back and play it again if you didn't get the best plus ending I suppose but it actually kind of changes how things occur at the end of the game, like at the culmination of everything. Um, so if there's a side quest where you can rescue Kaufman from a demon creature. And if you do that and you also save Sybil uh, rather than killing her, which spoilers, she gets taken over by like a demon parasite and tries to kill you. Um, so if you save her rather than kill her, mm-hmm. You end up getting the very best ending where Harry and Sybil escape Silent Hill with an infant that Alessa somehow magically births and gives to Harry. Uh eh. Cheryl. And and yeah, sh- well, Cheryl what what did I say? Did I oh I said Alessa. Well, it's it's one and the same, but yeah. Um Yeah, whatever. But that's yeah, so that's the best ending and then they get progressively worse depending on what you did or didn't do uh to the point where actually the bad ending is you you basically see Harry's corpse sitting in the car uh that he crashed at the beginning of the game which also weirdly kind of suggests that maybe it was all like in his head, in his last dying moments or something, which completely throws off the whole like actual <laughs> like lore and mythos of the thing in the first place. But we don't we never fucking happen. We, we don't need to talk about that, I guess. But uh, let's go back to the cop thing. Real.
0: Let's go back to the cop thing. real Yeah, quick. sure. So if I'm Harry, I'm in an area that I don't know. Everything's fucking weird. And this hot cop shows up and says, here's a gun. Go look for your kid. Why don't I be like, you're lost. I'm lost. Let's team together why okay yeah. fuck the cop just giving the giving him his gun giving him her her gun right fuck that i don't like that's that's fucking stupid the second thing is why doesn't the cop just go with
1: him uh because they didn't want to make the whole game an escort quest i don't know
0: <laughs> no i get it but like I I, I get what you're
1: saying, though, like logically, I mean, again, like in most cases, even even in a well-crafted horror game or movie, you're still going to get some real bullshit decisions where the audience is looking and going like, hey, don't go in that room. Are you stupid? Right. Like
0: typical horror tropes. Right. It's like, hey, here's my gun. Go have fun. Yeah. There's monsters
1: outside. I'm going to go wander around. What the fuck are you doing to me, lady? By myself now without my gun. Oh, it's gonna be terrible. Well, she probably
0: still had a gun. She may be she may be dual welding. She may be double fisting.
1: Well, apparently she did, because she ends up trying to shoot you later, like I said. So.
0: so one thing I found interesting, and this made for a very unsettling scene in my mind, and again, I don't know if this was intentional, but keep in mind that this was made by a Japanese development staff. But it wouldn't have really Resonate with Western audiences. So when you take an elevator, I think it's what in the in the in the hospital or the school.
1: It's the hospital.
0: So in the hospital, there's three levels to the hospital. So once you once you complete a certain amount of the hospital, all of a sudden you'll go in there and you'll see that now there's a fourth floor. So in Japan, if you go to a hotel or any tall structure, you'll notice that. Buildings that have a fourth, you know, more than four floors won't list the fourth floor as a level that you can go to. Mm-hmm. Much like here in the United States, you don't have a 13th floor on many structures that have more than 13 floors because it's an unlucky number. The reason for this in Japan is that you can say four two ways you can say it she and young. Most people say young. The reason they don't say she typically or, and you do hear people say she, I'm not saying they don't say it, it's because she also means death. Mm. So if you take that into consideration, so when I saw that, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm in for some, I, I'm about, this is about to get freaky. This is about to get nuts. But of course, if if you're not Japanese, and you didn't know that, which is probably what a lot of people didn't know, and I'm, again, I'm not saying it's intentional, but that is something I found really interesting considering that, again, it was made by a Japanese development staff and the fourth floor was the floor that was hidden and they could have made it, you know, any, they could have designed it any other way.
1: I I, so, I absolutely think, think it was intentional just with how much meaning is around that particular number, as you just said. The The unfortunate thing, I guess, is that like uh, th- the the impact of that when you see that fourth button just like mysteriously show up in the elevator, I imagine was greatly lessened by the fact that their target Western audience did not have that same association with that number.
0: Yeah. It, it would have been for us it would have been 13. If they went right. from one, two, three, and then thirteen. Right. Because then you'd be like, why is there why am I going to the 13th floor? Like that can't be good. Yeah. But I think we've been we've been pretty long-winded on this, especially Shane has been <laughs> uh this probably isn't our typical kind of uh you know gutter toilet humor kind of episode as you know this is a good game there's really not much to really criticize in 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 that way you know there there isn't much way to really put in toilet humor we're sorry if you're disappointed that we didn't make enough diff jokes but i did try to say navigate silent hill with your boner so i tried there uh we did it besides that speaking of uh being erect do you think this game holds up today shane
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh so As much as I've been gushing about it for the past, like, hour and a half, give or take, um, I I do think it is still worth experiencing today, yes. But it does, I guess, come with some caveats, which I I think, based on our notes, you and I are mostly in alignment about. So, I don't think... Uh, That it's going to necessarily genuinely scare too many people in this day and age, partly because of the dated graphics and partly because, frankly, a lot of us have just become desensitized to a lot of that shit over the years. And it is what it is. Um, But if you do have an appreciation for just, you know, exceptional atmosphere and world building through, you know, the masterful use of music and the sound design and the visuals like we talked about, then... Really, this isn't something that I think you should miss out on. Um, And plus, you know, for what it's worth, I think I mentioned it way back at the beginning of the episode, but like, it's not going to set you back a lot in terms of time. Um, Even at a casual pace or getting fucked up and not knowing how to finish the damn piano puzzle, like, you'll still only take maybe six to eight hours for a typical playthrough. If you get good at it and you know where you're going like this game takes maybe three or four hours tops to get through so it's not a huge investment but i think what it pays back in the experience i think is well worth your time
0: okay i think that that that's a good way to punt i would agree um so i i kind of feel very similar to shane i'm not overall and i'm not in love with the silent hill series the same way shane is but i do think that if you're into survival horror, if you like survival horror games, this is one of the this is one of the good earlier ones. I mean, of course, it's better than, you know, Alone in the Dark, um, which I think sucks. But we can re- we're not talking about Alone in the Dark. We're talking about we, Silent Hill. We will, though. <sighs> oh, God, I hope not. But yeah, it's <laughs> inevitable. But um, so you have you have a game that is really innovating on the horror front it, it takes horror games and it, it it creates it into a psychological horror as opposed to more of a jump scare in your face i i, I for lack of a better term because i don't know what it is but i would call it slapstick horror which you got get more with resident evil which really devolves more into action as the series goes on but if you want to make a direct comparison to the first resident evil uh which was more survival horror and Silent Hill, which is which is another survival, which I think is very intentionally meant to be a survival horror game. You do. There are some elements of Silent Hill that do hold up. There are some genuinely creepy, unnerving, unsettling moments. That being said, much like Shane said, we said earlier in the episode, the graphics really hurt the experience because this is just a game of its era. It's a PS one game. It's and the FMVs are 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 kind of more primitive, but in that way you can say that maybe the FMVs make it a little bit more unsettling and a very a little bit more creepy. That and the actual plot and writing may not stick with you. It didn't stick with me. It's it's a lot of cultish things and like the cult I kind you know, kind of silly and funny. But um there are a lot of elements that you look at and like like Shane was pointing out, if you start deeping in, if you start digging into it, like the monsters you're fighting and what's around you, or some of the backstories for some of the characters, especially Lisa, you can find some good moments in there that uh, are worth experiencing. Especially if you're into video games, uh, as you probably would be by listening to this podcast. So the game itself is is pretty expensive, and I wouldn't recommend getting a physical copy for that reason. But if you still happen to have a PlayStation Three. It's $6 on the PlayStation Store uh, and the PS1 Classics. So if you want to give this one a shot, $6 isn't a lot. Uh, So go ahead and and plunk down if you're really into survival horror. Uh, I don't think you'll be horrendously disappointed, even if you do find the graphics too dated. But there is something to be found. So does it hold up? I would say kind of, but more of your survival horror fan. If you're not, you you, you don't don't start with this one. Uh, Go to Silent Hill 2 instead.
1: I well that I I that's a statement I would make in almost any case actually but, but yes well, for almost any
0: horror game I yeah
1: <laughs> yeah uh all right so uh with all of that said I think we've uh, we've had a pretty good discussion about the the OG Silent Hill and so um uh let's uh we'll go ahead and wrap this up like we normally do so uh, if you are listening to us now, then hey, you've already found us. So hi, welcome, hello. I hope you've enjoyed your stay so far. Um, if you'd like to engage with us more, there are a couple of ways that you can do that. We are on social media, so you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, we also have our Discord, which as of about, uh, what is it, a month or so ago now, I guess? About uh, a month. Yeah. Um, it's uh, public, so it's open to everybody. So if you want to jump in and uh, you know discuss whatever, video games, life in general, with us, and uh, some of the other fans and patrons of the show, uh, you can do that by going over to bit.ly slash Uh, And speaking of the Patreons, we do have a Patreon that is always running, and so if for whatever reason you like what we do, and you would like to show that in a more concrete sort of fashion, uh, you can do that by going over to bit.ly slash rhpatron and choosing the donation tier of your choice, and you can get some pretty cool uh, extra benefits, such as uh, some physical swag and merch, depending on the tier you choose, uh, as well as exclusive patron chat channels and uh, being able to vote on uh, episode topics uh, for future episodes of the show and other neat stuff like that. Uh, oh, and, and we do still have the merch store open as well. So if you want a, a cool shirt or a mug or a button or something of that effect, um, particularly with our fantastic mascot, Gorp, the, the eggplant dragon on it, then uh go 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 you can head over to bit.ly slash rhp merch and uh, pick yourself up something there. So uh Chris, what would you like to plug before we shut this down?
0: Uh first of all, you can find me on zodi. uh you can find me on Instagram, and there my name is Zodiac at of course with the at symbol X O D Y A K. You can find me there. Also, Sunday streams, they happen pretty much every Sunday at uh I'll say nine o'clock PM ish or twenty one hundred gun time if you're a grand Rapidian. Good time. Uh, so check us out there. Also, this is the second to last episode that we'll have before the general election coming up in November. I'm not trying to get political here. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care how you vote. Just make sure if you're over the age of 18, you're registered and you get out there and you do your you do your duty and you get out there and vote, even though I screwed up our founding fathers earlier in the episode. <laughs> um <laughs> make sure your voice is heard in whatever way you can that's the only way to really do it so once again get out there vote um make sure you do what you do and if you're passionate about something make sure that you you put your voice on it. you put your stamp on it and that's all i really got to say
1: well said all right well uh with all of that until next time
0: play with your fleshy, veiny joysticks
1: Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part, no added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12-ounce bags They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly B-I-T slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly dot slash R-H-P B-O-N-E-S.